Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Thank you for being here this weekend. Stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're so glad you're here on Labor Day weekend, and we know that God is going to bless you. Man, what great worship. We're so thankful for our worship team, and, and I'm glad to be here to preach the word to you. So today, we've had some technical difficulties. There's not going to be any notes on the screen, so I would highly encourage you to get your Bibles out or get your app out. And if you get that app out, it's got a place for notes. You can write your own notes in there. That's what I would encourage you to do. So if you don't have the app, you should get the app, and then you can take notes along with all the messages that we speak. So I want you to definitely do that. So we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12, reading from the NIV. And that's our text today. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or your device or whatever you use, and we're going to read. Man, I'm so glad to be in the house of God. How many are glad to be in the house of God? It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Man, I am just, I'm, I, I was sicker than a dog last week and didn't enjoy a bit of it. And I missed being here with you. And man, I don't know what I had, the flu or the croup or the something that was nasty and I hate. And uh, I'm feeling great now. And so I'm glad to be in the house of God. So um, man, I, I really want to talk to you today about the idea of perspective change. Because when we begin to understand what it's really like to be a disciple, it changes our perspective. It changes the way we look at things. We've been talking about discipleship, being a disciple, making a disciple. And when we really get it, when we really begin to allow it to happen in our lives, it changes the way we see things. And that's why I played that video before I came up here today, because I think that we got too many people in the world today that are discouraged. I think we have too many people that are down. You're watching too much news. You're listening to too much negativity. You're, you're giving in. Listen, the world may be changing, but God does not change. Everybody say that with me. The world may be changing, but God does not change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe what the word says. The word says that God is a limitless God. So it doesn't matter our circumstances. God's still limitless. The Bible says that there is nothing that is impossible with God. I still believe what that says. So it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. There's still nothing impossible with God. Are you hearing me today? So let's not have a defeatist attitude. Let's smile. Turn to your neighbor. Come on. You're like, I wish this guy would not make me turn to my neighbor. Don't be rebellious. The Bible says, listen to the prophet, you'll receive a reward. Obey the prophet. Come on. Turn to your neighbor, look him right in the eye, and just smile at him. Say, I just, ah, I'm feeling so good about life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they persecute you now. Let's read it out of the Amplified. It says this, blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with joy in God's goodness are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me. Be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in this same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you to bless it, teach us, lead us, guide us, direct us, but most importantly, God, transform us so that we will not leave this place today the same as we walked in. That God, we will be encouraged, we will be strengthened, and we will have a perspective of hope Love and peace in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, you look like you lost weight, baby. Come on. 
James chapter 1, verse 4. James chapter 1, excuse me, verse 2 through 4. It says this, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. You know, I think that a lot of times, especially in America, we're experiencing something new in the Western world. We're experiencing something new right now as believers. Now, the, not the whole world, but just us as believers, we're experiencing something different. And we've talked about it many times. We've talked about the idea of our culture changing, our culture and society's morality changing, and everything seems like shifting sand under our feet because what we used to have just automatic assent to, we, we no longer do. And so it makes us feel like things are shaky. It makes us feel like we should be afraid or we should be wondering what's going on or, or weirded out by what the future holds. And the truth is, that's not what our perspective should be at all. But our perspective should be what the Bible talks about right here. Now, don't get me wrong. Let's be careful that we don't think we're being persecuted when we're not being persecuted. Because there's a big difference between actually receiving actual persecution for your faith and not. You know, if you have people around you that are attacking you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, then that's persecution. It may be different levels of persecution, but it's persecution. But if they're attacking you because you're being a jerk, uh, come on, somebody, that, that's not persecution. That's just you getting what you deserve, right? So, so we have to be careful that we don't say that everything that happens to us is negative is persecution when really it's not about that. When, when we're living our life for Jesus, when we're doing the things morally that he says and we are attacked because we're treated as if, oh, you're, you're some kind of self-righteous person because you want to live right, then that's persecution. But our response to that persecution shouldn't be to fight back or to become angry or to yell and scream about how we're right and you're wrong. But our response to that persecution should be love. Our response to that persecution should be uh, thankfulness. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we should be happy. We, we should be glad about it. I mean, if, if someone thought that I was enough like Jesus, that they would say something negative or be negative to me about it because of my association with him, I should count myself blessed. Are you with me? I, I mean, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says you are blessed. You are blessed. Now, how many know blessed is not a negative term? Are y'all in here today? I did not come to talk to myself. Blessed is not a negative term. Blessed means, man, my life is good. You know, when Apostle Peter first got beat, he got beat, y'all. Now, listen, when he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus had already died. He had already resurrected. He had gone to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. Peter is now living this full apostolic life, and he's preaching and he's teaching, and they persecuted him. Now, when I say persecuted him, they beat him. They, they beat him and put him in prison. They beat him. Listen to me. They physically beat him and put him in jail. And the only crime was he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was it. They saw him as an insurrectionist. They said, you're a bad person. You're trying to stir things up. We're putting you away. We're trying to crush this movement of Christianity. We're putting you away. And the Bible says that when Peter came out of the jail, he was rejoicing in that he was counted worthy to be beaten for Jesus. <clears throat> I think that's awesome. You obviously don't get it. Everybody look at me real quick and smile at me. It's, I understand you might be a little tired today because you stayed up too late last night. That's your problem, not mine. It's not God's problem you stayed up too late. Come on, wake up and get into this with me. Understand, God wants to do something in your life this morning, but your propensity to lean into it is going to going what makes the difference whether or not he's able to do it in your life or not. I want to have that attitude that Peter had that if someone talks bad about me, someone's negative towards me, someone 
pushes me out of the group. Someone doesn't want to be around me because I'm a Christian or I'm a believer. I want to live a moral life that I'm not going to get mad and upset and bitter. I'm going to say, thank God I look enough like Jesus that people are going to persecute me like they did him. <coughs> but see, here's the problem. It's all about perspective. It's about perspective. And when we really become a disciple of Jesus, and when we really begin to make disciples, it changes our perspective. We start seeing things differently. We start looking at things differently. A few weeks, uh, a few years ago, I should say, um, I had kind of a ritual. Now, one of my favorite parts in life uh, was when I would get to take my daughters to school. So I loved it. It was one of the favorite things uh, still to this day. Sometimes I wish I could go back to those days. We'd drive to school together, and we would talk and laugh. We'd have the radio on. We'd sing, and they'd get out of the, the car. And before they did, they th probably thought I was the cheesiest dad in the world, but I would, like, speak positive things over them. You're a superstar. You're a world changer. You're going to make a difference today. God's going to do something in your life. And then they'd get out of the car, and probably they were like, is it? my dad is such a weirdo. But I'm telling you, I was speaking life into their life. And so it was just a fun time for me, an exciting time for me, but it wasn't all spiritual. And I just had different habits at different times. And, and you know, have you, how many of you go through seasons with your music? You go through seasons like sometimes you country, sometimes you feel like country, sometimes you feel like pop, sometimes you're like, I'm only going to do worship music. Sometimes you just, you have different seasons. And so I went through a Johnny Cash season. That's funny. And I just, I just love Johnny Cash. I still listen to his music every once in a while. And I don't know, it's just real, it's just raw. He's just speaking from the truth. And, you know, it just, you know, he's just life, life. And, uh, and, and, and mostly death, death. And so, uh, so I'm just listening to Johnny Cash. And I, I'm not aware, really, and sometimes we're not, that, that my daughter, Sydney, was also listening. And she was about four at the time. So one day I had a massive opportunity for a perspective shift. Because when you hear Johnny Cash singing that song, you know, about train coming around the bend. Yeah, he's in prison and he feels the pain of it. You're just like, yeah, Johnny, I can identify with you. Life is hard. But when you're sitting there getting ready, and we would always get ready, and then we would finish off our getting ready together, and Sydney would be little bitty old Sydney, four years old, she'd be over at that mirror, and I'd be over at this mirror, and I'd be getting my hair fixed, and she'd be brushing her hair and singing, and, and all of a sudden, I heard this come out of that little four-year-old mouth. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Let me tell you something. My perspective shifted. I'm like, what? What? No, you didn't shoot a man in Reno. You don't even know what a, that means. Stop it with that. No more Johnny Cash. Like he's banned now from our life. I went out and I burned all my albums. No, I'm joking. But, but the truth is, the truth is sometimes we don't see things for what they really are because we have a certain perspective about them. We see them through a lens. And we've had problems in our country as of late seeing God through different lenses and seeing the gospel through different lenses. And, and what we're trying to do here at Summit is really, really get back to this place where God is teaching us how to be disciples. And the Father just tells us continually, why do you constantly feel like you need to, you need to uh, somehow uh, make my methods better? Like you, you, like you can improve on my model or you can improve on what I've told you to do. And what God told us to do when he left was he said, make disciples. And then he didn't just tell us that, but for three and a half years, he modeled exactly how to do that. And what do we do? We start teaching on it. Instead of doing it, we teach about it. Instead of actually telling everyone, hey, and that's why we've set a goal that everybody who calls Summit Church within the this two-year window since we started this, is going to be discipling at least one person, even if it's a person in your family, you're going to be actively discipling them. And we believe in this, and we want this to happen. Why? It's not a class, discipleship. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a methodology. It's not something that we're doing for some result. 
discipleship is the lifestyle of the believer. That's what it is. When, when you follow Jesus and you've made a commitment to follow Jesus with all of your heart, then what that means is I will deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. It's no longer what I want for my life. It's what does he want for my life. And then, and then as I begin to participate in that kind of thinking, in that kind of lifestyle, then my responsibility is to do what he said. And what did he say? He said, go into all the world making disciples. So now I know I am a disciple, but I also need to make disciples. And making disciples is not about preaching at someone. Making disciples is not about being the greatest theologian. Making disciples is not about knowing everything in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, although it's a good thing to do. I don't make any excuses for saying, get into the Word. I don't make any excuses for saying, it's important that you know the Bible. But what I am saying is you, you don't have to wait till you know the whole Bible to actually start making disciples because you can tell somebody else what God has done for you and you can grow and then share how you've grown in your spiritual walk with somebody else to help them grow in their spiritual walk. And so this is what God said we were supposed to be doing. And, 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 and he's told me some other things too, because I've prayed, I've prayed, God, show us your power. God, show us your power. I've seen miracles. I've stood in hospital rooms and prayed over people who got healed of cancer. I've watched people who had a heart problem and they had to put them up to a machine and to keep their heart regulated because they couldn't get it to slow down. Went in, prayed a simple prayer. And by the time I walked out of the room, their heart had regulated itself. God healed them and they walked up out of the hospital. I've seen God heal people in such a way. I went into a woman's home one time and prayed for her. She had infection in her face because of a bad tooth situation and literally you couldn't recognize who she was. Her face was so swollen and I was sitting there and I prayed a small prayer but it was filled with faith and I just said, God, I believe that you want to heal my sister. I believe that you want to touch her body and I laid my hands on her and I just said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I could meet with you today and I just want you to know I love you. We're going to continue praying. Is there anything we need? And by the time I got to the door, I looked at her and her face was normal. The infection was gone. The fever was gone. The deformity was gone. Now, I'm not saying God does that in every situation. Sometimes God heals us using doctors, using medicine. But I'm telling you, God does do those powerful things in our life when we believe Him, when we set our faith. And there are miracle things that God does. And I want those kind of things. And so I've been praying, God, give us the miracles. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He said, why would I put fuel in a car you refuse to drive? He said, David, the reason I gave the power of the Holy Spirit to the early church so they would make disciples. Not so they would sit around in a church and give words to each other and prophesy over each other. That's fine, but that's not what I gave the power for. But I gave the power so that they would take it out into the community and they would find people who didn't know me and bring them to me and then help them grow and mature in their faith. That's what the boldness is for. That's what the power is for. That's what the gifts are for. Uh, hey, are y'all with me? You see, God said, if you'll drive the vehicle, I'll put fuel in it. If you'll do what I said, you won't even have to ask me for powerful things to happen. They'll just happen. The church, we as the church, as believers, as disciples, have to begin to engage in what God told us to do. We're doing a lot of things God told us to do, but the one thing that he gave us as the overarching responsibility of the church, we are not doing on any large basis. And it's our fault. It's the church's fault. It's the occupational pastor's fault. Because we've made people sitting in the pews, we've made you feel like that we're the only ones that can do ministry on that level. Like if that's what, that's what pastors do. I don't have time to do that. I've got my whole life to, 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 no, no, that's why God gave you that life. That's why God gave you that platform. That's why God gave you that circle of influence. He didn't give that to you so you could have a career. He gave that to you so you could be a disciple and make disciples. Wow, you're being radical. No, I'm just being biblical. Okay. 
So here's some things that we see differently when we really start thinking like a disciple. The way we see the church. We start seeing the church differently. We, we see the church, the role is not, you know, I used to always say this to people on any staff I was ever a part of as I would lead them, I would say, man, guys, come on. Sunday is the Super Bowl. We gotta be ready for Sunday. We gotta have the best Sunday we've ever had because Sunday's when we gather all the people and that's the Super Bowl. And the Lord, as I begin to study discipleship, he's, he chastised me and he said, Sunday's not the Super Bowl. The weekend services are not the Super Bowl. The main youth services that we have, that's not the Super Bowl. That's practice. That's the locker room. So when you truly become a disciple, you realize that when we gather together, and uh, by no means am I saying that it's not important for us to gather together. No, it's important for us to gather together. Why? Because the Bible tells us to. Matter of fact, the Bible says as closer we get to the end, the more we need to get together. That's why you should be in a small group. Oh, I knew you'd find a way to plug that. You're right. You know why? Because it's what the Bible says to do, believer. Oh, but I got all this to do. Is it, is, it, is it kingdom? Is it changing your life? Is it save your soul? Is it keeping you out of hell? Is it developing you as a believer? Is it causing you to win other people to Christ? Oh, but you got to do it so you can't do what God's asking you to do. Come on, y'all. Let's just wake up and be honest about it. We're all guilty of it. And we need to just go back and say, what is the church for? The church is so we come together and collectively worship God. Y'all with me? Oh, he's, I, hey, I haven't preached here. I haven't preached here in three weeks. I'm bringing it today, like it or not. Look, look, we got to get our mind around this. And we got to understand what this gathering is. And I've said this so many times, I don't even want to say it right now, but I'm going to say it again because everybody's not hearing me. Do you know when you come in here to worship? Do you know when you come in here to worship? You are not the audience. We act like we're the audience. And we come in and we stand here and we let the musicians play and we let the singers sing and we think, well, that was good. That was fine. You know what? When I was listening to that first song today, I mean, that song, man, pop, 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 pop. And I could hear it. Chick, 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 chick. I've got to warm up. I've got to get into this. You know, I've got to, I've had a tough week. No, come on, drop all that and realize what you're doing. You're not exercising religiously. That is not what worship is. Worship is not you going through the motions of doing church. That's not what this is. You know what worship is? Worship is us getting our voices and our hearts and our minds together and saying God is our audience. You are as much a part of this worship team as if you were standing up on this stage and the audience is God. And not only are we worshiping here, listen to me, but we're joining the worship of thousands of angels that their only job, their only purpose is to stand around the throne of God saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, worthy is the lamb for sinners slain. Listen, we're joining with them. That's what this is about. So when, when so, but, but I, I come because I need things from God. Well, when you get in that atmosphere and you start worshiping him with your whole heart, you'll receive things from God. He'll speak to you. He'll touch your body. He'll heal you. He'll change your situation. Why? Because you understand what the purpose of a thing is. See, when we lose the purpose of a thing, we begin to abuse it instead of use it. We take advantage of it. We take a granite for, granted of it. My, my hometown, well, not my hometown, but Janae's hometown, where I, we grew up when I was in high school, last place I went. You go there now, it's a good place. A lot of good people there. But, you know, they've legalized marijuana in Oklahoma. And some people even in this room are like, they need to legalize it here. No, 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 no. You need to research that before you think that through. My hometown, I can't even tell you the meth addiction that's going on there. I can't even tell you the drug abuse and how the whole attitude and mentality of the community has changed. And you know why? Because they've lost the purpose of a thing. You see, there are drugs and plants and things that God has given us in this world that were given for medicinal purposes. 
But what we do is we lose the purpose of it and we begin to abuse it for the other things that it does for you. Uh, let me, I got, I, got some, I got some news for you, Texas. We have that same problem with alcohol. Oh boy, it got quiet, didn't it? Woo! You don't want me to talk about it. But I'm, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to be a teetotaler. I'm not saying that there's anything in the Bible that says alcohol, drinking alcohol is a sin. Matter of fact, it doesn't say that. But there's a problem with us in America. We don't understand one of Paul's major teaching. He said, in all things, moderation. And we don't understand moderation. And we rationalize and justify behaviors because we lose a purpose of a thing. We forget what it's really for and then we abuse it. And even we do that with church. We have forgotten church is not a consumeristic thing. It's not just something where I come and meet my needs or get God to meet my needs or let other people uh, help me. It's not just that. That's not the sole purpose of God. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go further. Communion with God, relationship with God, prayer. Come on, y'all. Prayer isn't just an opportunity for you to ask God to do something for you. Prayer is communion. Prayer is relationship. Prayer is an opportunity for you to be in the presence of God and connect with God and not take advantage of Him, but absolutely get in alignment with Him. We have to get back to the place where we are understanding the purpose of a thing. And when we really truly begin to understand discipleship and we begin to understand being a disciple, you know what ends up happening? We start seeing things differently. And we understand that the church is a training ground. It's a place we come to worship, but then it's a place we get equipped. So what I'm teaching you right now is something you can take out of this room and you can use it in your life because guess what? When you leave this room, you're going on the playing field. You're leaving the locker room and you're going on the playing field. Come on. And every day you're supposed to be running the offense. Every day you're supposed to be taking what the coach has told you in the locker room and you're taking it out into the community and you're running the offense. And Monday you run the offense and Tuesday you run the offense and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday you run the offense. And then you come back to the locker room on Sunday and you worship God together. You get filled with his spirit and you get equipped to go back out and get on the field again. That is the perspective that you begin to have of the church when you begin to understand, I'm a disciple. The church is to equip, educate, and empower for the work of the ministry. It is not for spiritual entertainment or emotional consumption. Everybody smile at me. Look, here's the truth. Here's the truth. We have some shifting to do in our thinking in America. We have some shifting to do in our thinking as believers, we have some shifting to do in our mindsets. And we need to begin to understand again. And the way we do that is not to just pretend, but it's to become a disciple. It's to really begin to follow Jesus with our whole heart and then use what he's given us to make a difference with other people. Are you hearing me? The, the, the other thing is we see, uh, we see the community different. We see community itself differently. Uh, we, we see community is to have the iron of other believers sharpening the iron in us. We see family growing. We see connecting and going into the world together to make disciples. We see life and hope and encouragement and compassion and love for one another. We're there for each other. We care for each other. We are a community. Our community is not out in the world. Our community is in the family of faith. And then we go out into the world and we bring people from the enemy's camp and we bring them into our family. That's the whole point. I'm so glad that one day when I was still out in the world, in the community of the world, in the community of the enemy, that some believer saw in me what God really wanted for my life and literally pulled me into the faith community. <clears throat> the next thing is the way we see our Christianity it's about relationship, not religiosity. It's not about the way things look. It's about the way things are. So much of religion and so much of our Christian faith is about appearing to be right. 
That's why we get in the flesh and start arguing and fighting with everyone because we're trying to appear that we're right. It's why we put so much stock in externals and how we look and who we run with and where we are and, and how, we, how we do things because we're trying to let everybody know it looks good, it's good, but this is what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He said, you look like beautiful whitewashed tombs, almost artistic in your beauty, but if you open up the tomb, you see dead men's bones. It's not about what it looks like, it's about what it is. And what it is is a relationship with God. A bunch of imperfect people that are growing and maturing in their faith because they have a relationship with someone who is absolutely perfect. And he is leading us and he is guiding us and he is changing us by his spirit. And when he does that, it absolutely impacts and affects our world. And we understand that our Christianity, uh, Christianity isn't about going through the motions. Our Christianity isn't about routine. Our Christianity isn't about some kind of appearance or external appearance that everybody can look at and say, oh, I bet they're Christians, or I bet they go to that church, or I bet they do. No, it's not about that. It's about, do you have a relationship with Jesus and being who you are, being who God is making you to be? The way we see God changes. We see him as our father. Some of you grew up seeing God as mean and hateful and mad, <clears throat> and probably because you have preachers like me up here screaming, my grandfather, one time, he, my grandfather was one of the most artistic preachers you could ever hear. He's the only preacher I ever sat under that he would preach and people would literally run from their chairs to the altar. Like before he would even make the altar call, people would run to the altar because he preached with such anointing and such flair and such uh, just artistic ability. And one time he told me a story of that he was, it was when he uh, had a mic. They had mics that were lapel mics, but they were wired mics. So they weren't wireless. And so he would have this mic here, but there would be a wire behind it. And as he was preaching a lot, he would pace back and forth. And he would pace back and forth. He's really preaching. And he's really preaching and telling the story and, and get, you know, doing, getting into the message. And he'd pace back and forth. And he said, after the service, a, a, a lady came up and said, hey, I got to tell you something my son said. Well, you're preaching. And he said, what? And his son had leaned over to his mother and said, Mom, if he gets loose from that wire, is he going to get us? You know, sometimes we see God like that fire-breathing dragon. You know, we see God as this mean-spirited, hateful, I want to do you wrong. I want to, I know you're going to mess up because you're weak and I'm going to punish you every time I see you. And you know, I'm just going to be honest. He has every right to be that way because he's God. And if that's what he wants to be, he has every right to be that. He's God, we're not. We, he's our creator. We are created by him. How, how, do, how do we say anything? That's why David said, why are you mindful of us? Why do you even care? We're not worth it. But do you know, God over and over again from from the Old Testament to the New, he refers to himself as Father. Father. And in the New Testament, he refers to himself, uh, Paul talks about in Romans 8.15, he says, he says that we've not, not been given the bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba in Aramaic meaning, that's the way we would say Daddy. So he's saying to us, he's saying to us, listen, I don't want you to view me as some mean, judgmental ogre in the sky, but I want you to understand, I see you as my kids. I see you as my children. And I don't get this impression he sees us as adult children because we're too bumbly for that. You know what I mean? We're still, we're still keep trying to walk and we've fallen down. And, and, and you know God's spirit to that? It's just exactly the spirit that he tells us to raise our kids in. He says you should raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, be a coach and a teacher in their life, leading them. Now, if they get defiant and they get rebellious, then you have to bring punishment into it. If they become defiant, then they have to pay the consequences for what they have done. But if they're just falling and they need help and they need to learn, then just teach them. Just because I am your father. Jesus said, when you pray, say our Abba our daddy. 
who art in heaven. You see, God, when you really become a disciple of his word and his will and his ways, you begin to understand what he's like. And he doesn't want to beat you up. And he's not waiting for the opportunity to judge you. Will he judge? Yes, because just as much as he is perfect love, he is also perfect judge. He stands for justice and righteousness and they always walk hand in hand and there will be a day where it's too late. And you need to always understand that and know that. But the truth is, in our relationship with God, God is not wanting to beat you up. He's wanting to teach you and correct you. And he even goes as far as to say in the New Testament that if I don't correct you, I don't love you. Because a father who won't correct his kids doesn't love them. Are you with me? He does correct, but he does it in love. I'm going to have to stop here. I'll continue this message next week, but I want to, I want to finish with one little thing. But I want to say it's my dad. He used to spank me when I was a kid. Now, you have to understand, I was crazy. And, 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 and I can remember back being a kid, and I'm telling you, it, it, I was nuts. I, I, I have ADHD, and it was literally on fire when I was a child. I mean, I ran around. I'd run across the street, busy streets, and my mom would go, and I'd just run across the street. I didn't look, didn't care. It's just what I want to do. I saw something I liked. I wanted to go. And that's just the way I did all the time. When my dad finally would do something that he had had enough and he was going to punish me or give me a spanking, it became the most dramatic thing you have ever seen in your life. I'm not kidding. My sisters would be, I could see them standing over there and they're just like, daddy, stop, daddy, stop. Because I would literally go nuts. Like I'd start running around in circles like, don't hit me, daddy. Don't hit me, daddy. I mean, I'd just scream and yell and all of this. And my sister's like, you're going to kill him. And dad hadn't even made contact yet. But when my dad got older and I was having kids of my own, he sat me down. He said, I want to talk to you. And he very rarely did this. My dad very rarely would interfere or say, I want to give you some advice. He's more of a guy that would want you to come to him and ask him. He's not going to insert himself into your life. He said, but I want, to, I want to talk to you. He said, I made a huge mistake when I was a young father. And he said, I feel like it put a wedge between us when you got into adolescence. And he said, I was always taught don't love on your kids after you discipline them because it weakens the punishment. And he said, that is a lie. He said, if you have to discipline your children, Make sure that after you discipline them, they understand, number one, what they were disciplined for. That you give them the why. You don't, you don't just discipline them because you're mad. Because if you discipline out of your anger, they'll think they're getting disciplined because you're angry. And they won't relate it to what they did. He said, so make sure they understand why. And then once you know and you, it, you distribute the discipline, once that's over, pull them in. Put your arms around them and say, I love you. And listen to me. Why? Because you're supposed to be reflecting the heart of God. And that is the way God does. See, the devil will tempt you and make you fall. And then he'll mock you for falling. But when God sees you fall, he sends his Holy Spirit to say, hey, hey, buddy. That's not who you are. You're my kid. You're in my family. You know this is not for you. Come on. Come on. Come with me. And he corrects you and he convicts you. And then he loves you. Because you see what he did is he put it all on the line. He took the wrath of God for you. He took the punishment that you and I should have to take. See yourself in a courtroom. You're the defendant. And boy, are you guilty. And you don't have a slick lawyer that's going to try to rationalize or cover up your guilt. He's not going to make up a story to get you out of it. He's not slick. 
He's just going to represent you. He's your advocate. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, 9, if we have any sin, we confess to the Father. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a lawyer that will stand for us. And so over in the prosecutor's seat, the devil, because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And he's saying, they're guilty. You know they're guilty, judge. We all know they're guilty. They've done it. They've failed. They've had pride. They've sinned. They've been adulterous. They've whatever the sin may be, whatever perversion in your life, whatever situation may go, they've done it. And here's your lawyer sitting here knowing full well you're guilty and he's not rationalizing and he's not justifying it and he's not trying to say it didn't happen or sneak you out of it or trick the judge. He's just there standing for you. And the devil's over there accusing you, saying you're no good, you stink, you're, no, you're never going to make it. You should deserve to be put in prison. You deserve to be put to death. You deserve to pay the penalty for your actions. And then the judge says, who is God, the Father? He says, you're guilty. And as he takes the gavel up to slam it down, your lawyer speaks up. And he says, Judge, I want to make a statement. And the judge says, what's your statement? He said, I know my client is guilty. I know that they should have to pay the consequences. But the price has already been paid. I did it. I went through the pain. I went to the hurt. And because I love them, I gave myself for them. And the judge brings the gavel down and he says something that's theologically termed justified. He says, boom, not guilty. That's who God is. And when you truly become a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you truly understand what it means to follow him, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, to die to yourself and to die to this world, to die to the sins of this world and say, God, I want to live for you. You do it. You do it not because you're so good. You do it because of the love that exists between the two of you, because the price that he paid, because we, as John the Apostle said, we love him because he first loved us. So there's perspective change going on. There's shift happening. And I'll end it with this. There was a battleship sailing through the seas and was sailing at night through rough, foggy seas. A battleship's radar suddenly indicates there's an object in my path. The ship's captain sends out a radio signal and he says, we're on a collision course. I advise you to change course 10 degrees north. A response crackles over the radio. Negative. We advise you to change course 10 degrees south. The captain can now see a blinking light from the approaching object. He's perturbed and he bellows a reply. I'm a ship's captain. Change course 10 degrees north now. The response comes back. I'm a seaman second class comes the reply, advise that you change course 10 degrees south to avoid imminent collision. The captain's furious now. And he blurts out another command. This is a battleship. Change your course immediately. Back comes the calm reply. This is a lighthouse. The battleship changed course. Perspective matters. The way you see things matters. The way you view truth matters. It will either save you or sink you. Listen to me. Church, do everything you can to begin to develop and grow in a biblical worldview, a Christocentric mentality and mindset that you see the world and all of its ideologies and all of its philosophies and all the things going on around us and its immorality 
Do you see it through the filter of the Bible? See it through the filter of God's will, God's ways, and God's word. And allow it to begin to create in you a perspective that is based on truth, not a moving standard or a complete non-standard. But stand on the Word of God and do the Word of God and let being a disciple of Jesus give you the perspective that you need to know that there is an objective truth. And it's not an idea, but it is a person. Because in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. When Paul, when the, the, the Pilate was going to uh, crucify Jesus, he said, what is truth? And Jesus, in no uncertain terms, gives him an answer. I am the truth. You need to understand that Jesus is the absolute truth. Jesus' word is the absolute truth. Jesus is the lighthouse. And we can keep selling our ships, and the world can keep selling its ships, and it can keep going whatever direction it wants to go. But at some point, there's going to be a realization point that says, I'm the one moving here. He hasn't moved. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Society's changing. God is not changing. Society is rebellious. God is still the king. Society is sinful. God still loves them and cares for them and wants them to be saved. He is not moving. He is immovable. And he's saying to us that we should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Set your feet and get a perspective of a disciple and understand his will, his ways, his word. Is what changes everything. And that's the way we want to look at the world. That's the way we want to see it. That's the way we want to see people. That's what we want to see, see sin. That's the way we want to see the issues that we're dealing with. That's the way we want to see persecution. That's the way we want to see tribulation. Count it all joy. Father, we thank you for your word today. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me real quick, if you will. Sorry for my voice today. It's still affected, I guess, by sickness. I hope it didn't bother you too much. I just want you to know that I love you and that God loves you. And your father... He wants to be involved in your life. You say, well, I'm a believer. Of course he does. No, 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 no. Not in a religious way. Not in a do the duty, go through the motions way. No, 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 no. He wants to be daily and relationally involved in your life. And he wants all of us to take that discipleship posture that says, he's God. He's life. He's truth. He's hope. And I'll find myself in him. And so every morning, get up and say, God, you're in charge. I'm not in charge. I give myself to you. You do with me as you will. And then let him do it. And he will. He loves you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. You may be here today, and you may have been struggling with the perspective of God. You've seen him as mean or hateful or even that, he just doesn't like you. Or maybe you've gone too far. You say, well, I've, I've known him before, but man, I am way out here in the dark. and He doesn't want me. Or maybe you're a person who just, you never, you never really knew God, but you just feel like there's no way he'd want you. I just want you to say, you're exactly who he wants. And I just want to go further to tell you that I was you many years ago messed up, confused rebellious, immoral or just hopeless Jesus loves you and he wants to help you so if you're in this place today with every head bowed, eyes closed no one looking around, just me and you you'd say I need to make a decision to either follow God for the first time or to rededicate my life to him and I'm I want my perspective to change about all this. And so if that's you, just lift up your hand. I just want to pray with you. That's all. I just want to pray. I see your hand. You can put it down, sir. Thank you so much for having the courage to make that decision. Who else would raise your hand? I see your hand. You can put it down, ma'am. I see your hand. You can put it down. 
Anyone else who would say, I, I, I know God brought me here today just to hear this, and I need to make a decision to follow him. If that's you, I see your hand. That's, that's listen, that's what we're doing. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Listen to me. We're not praying a prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. I see your hand. Thank you. Who joined these five or six that have said, I make a decision to follow Jesus? We're not here to say, God, come into my heart and add him to my life. We're, the decision we're about to make is, God, I'm committing my life to follow you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. And I, I believe you are the son of God and that you raised, you were raised from the dead. That's what we're here doing. If that's you, come on. Say, I'm ready for this. I'm walking into this. I know it's, I see your hand. You can put it down. I know this is nothing. I know this is nothing I can do on my own. I need God to be able to do it. So that's why I'm asking for prayer. I see your hand. You can put it down, young man. We've got almost 10 people who have said, I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus. Will you be another one? All right, let's pray together. I want you to pray this prayer for me. Now listen to me. Everybody look at me. These words that I'm going to say, they're not magic words. And, and you repeating them after me doesn't save you. What saves you is if you are sincere in your heart and you make this commitment to Jesus to follow him, he'll meet you where you're at. And he will forgive you. And he'll begin a process in your life that'll change you. And we want to be there for all of them. We want to help you. So whenever we're, after we pray this and we dismiss the service, I want you to go back to the Welcome to the Family uh, booth and there'll be someone back there or a pastor or someone who will meet with you and they have some material, a book that they'd like to put in your hand that'll help you get a fresh start. We want to give you that fresh start and we want to be here for you. We want to disciple you because we want to see God do miraculous things in your life. So pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And I believe he did it for me. And so, Father, I ask you, please forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation. I commit to follow you, to be your disciple, to walk in your will, to walk in your ways, and to learn your word. And I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I will be empowered to do it. In the mighty name of Jesus the Christ, Thank you. We give you praise. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise for that decision. Now listen, if you made that decision today, it's no joke. It's serious business. So on this Labor Day weekend, 2023, you put it in that book or you put it in a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, go right over there. Just pick you one up. It's free to you. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.